Good morning. Our third reading is again from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, starting at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to church on Good Friday, Lucky Friday, Special Friday, Happy Friday, and all that. Um, and if you're at home on YouTube, which I realize there's quite a few of you there this morning, welcome. We were inviting people back to our place for some morning tea after church today, and the offer is still there, but we're limited to 30 people. So our thought was if Lindell, if you check in with Lindell before you leave here and say you're coming, when we get to 30, we'll have to say we're full. And if there's someone else hanging around Lindell who would like to have some visitors for morning tea, maybe we can shuffle people around like that. So that's too much brain power for me at the moment. When we come to look at the Bible, um, as Christians, we acknowledge that it's God's word, that he's inspired the writing of it and that he illumines it as we read it. And so that's why we usually pray when we come to consider the Bible. We've had quite a few passages in Luke read that give you the account of what happened um, on Good Friday, and we'll be looking mainly in chapter 3, but how about we pray as we come to God's Word. Father God, as we look at your Word now, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, please help us to see Jesus clearly, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It can be really very embarrassing when you fail to recognise somebody. So late last year, in December last year, 
We were down in Old Bar and I was lined up in a queue waiting for coffee. And the person in front, he just, he looked, well, he looked like I should know who he was. And there's no surprise there because Lyndall's family are from Taree, Old Bar. They've been there since forever. So there's every chance this person is related or knows or, so you got to be careful. So I did that thing where you kind of sort of give a hello, but I'm too busy for a full conversation now, sort of complicated, weird look. And thought to myself, okay, well, later I'll check with Lyndall who that was and hopefully I haven't set my foot wrong. Um, the queue was slow and our niece came in from outside to just be in the room kind of thing. This is COVID days. Don't do that sort of thing. I had the order. I mean, it wasn't complicated. I was thinking, this is weird. Why is she here? And Lyndall and her sister exchanged one of those looks that only sisters understand. And I realised there's a lot of people looking at this line queuing up for coffee. So as we were walking out with our coffees, I said to Lindor, well, I'm not sure who that was in front of me, but I made sure I said hello, you know, kind of reassuring her so that, and Lindor just looks at me and goes, that was Boyd Cordner, you know, one of the roosters. So then to reclaim the situation just a little, I sent a text to Rob Miller saying, oh, I met, I met Boyd Cordner. <laughs> It can be really embarrassing when you don't recognise someone. It really can be embarrassing. But sometimes it's worse than embarrassing. Sometimes it really matters. Like when you cut in front of this person in the car park, take the last parking space, get out of your car and realise it was your boss. Consequences come with that. What's happening here in this passage is there's people failing to recognise Jesus. When you fail to recognise someone of consequence, when you fail to recognise their position, there are huge implications. These people are failing to recognise Jesus. It's huge. It's like failing to recognise your creator, failing to acknowledge God, snubbing God. Chapter three, uh, 23 of Luke's Gospel Um, Luke shows us these people failing to recognise Jesus. In fact, they killed him. Um, If you've got that little service outline, you'll see the passage. There's as much of the passage you could fit kind of thing. On the left-hand side, there's a bit that's in bold there. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a sign slapped on the cross above him that read, King of the Jews. It says in verse 23, verse uh, chapter 23, verse 38, there was a written notice above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. No one actually thought he was. No one then actually thought he was. They were quite convinced he wasn't. If you look back up at verse 36 and 37, the soldiers, they're mocking Jesus, ridiculing him. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. It's kind of the thing kids do. Then if you look at the verse after, verse 39, even one of the criminals who is crucified with Jesus, dying alongside Jesus, He hurls insults. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Messiah, that's the Hebrew title for king. Not just any king, but God's chosen king, God's anointed king. And if you were to read the whole of Luke's gospel from woe to go, you'd get to this point and you see the behaviour of these people and you want to call out, stop it, you idiots. Don't you realise who this is? Don't you realise what you're doing? Don't you know who you're talking to? Because Luke's been showing us all the way through his gospel that, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, for us, Jesus is our Lord and he is our saviour. 
Now, if you're looking at the sermon outline, service outline, you'll see that the title of the sermon, Do You Know Jesus as Your Lord and Saviour? Do you know him as your king? Do you know him as the one who saves you? If you don't recognise Jesus as your Lord and your saviour, you might just be here because you got made to, to come today. You might be here because you just grew up around Christians and you come to church because that's what you do. If you don't actually recognise Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then can I ask you today to, to reconsider, as you look at this part of God's word, can you reconsider? I want to save you more than just embarrassment for not recognising somebody. There's huge consequences here. And so the heads up is at the end of this short talk, I'll pray a short prayer. I'll invite you to pray it with me. It's the kind of prayer you'll pray to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour. Back to the talk outline, though. The first point is Luke's gospel was written to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, our Lord and our Saviour. Now, Luke's gospel is long. There's 24 chapters. And as an engineer, I don't like reading much. And so I've worked out this way to read books that means you don't read books. So you look at the beginning and the end. Good trick. Works nine times out of ten. If you glance back at the beginning of Luke's gospel, if you look back at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, You'll read there, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled or accomplished among us. Many people have undertaken to write these things down. So Luke's going to be another one of these people that writes down all the things that have been fulfilled, all the things that have been accomplished. And then you read on into verse 3, since I myself have carefully investigated everything, he's taken the time to check out the facts, to see what really happened, to check out the eyewitnesses. Um, and then uh, he says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And as an engineer, that is very appealing. This is an orderly account. He's worked out what to include. He's put it in an order to make good sense of it. Um, He's investigated everything. And so two things from the first four verses. Firstly, Luke has investigated everything, written an orderly account. We are reading an orderly account here. And the second thing is he wants to show us everything that's been fulfilled, everything that has been accomplished. Then if you go to the other end of Luke, if you go to the back of it, into chapter 24, around verse 44, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus says, "Um, this is what I told you when I was first, when I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, the law, the prophets and the writings, shorthand for the whole Old Testament, the Jewish way of saying the whole Old Testament. Jesus is claiming it's all about him. He's fulfilled it all. He's accomplished it all. And then he goes on, um, Luke goes on, then he opened, Jesus opened their minds so that they would could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus isn't only saying he is the Messiah, he's saying these things that have just happened, they happened to me, the Messiah, because It was always going to happen. It was in the Old Testament. He's fulfilled it all. Um, And then Jesus says in verse 47, repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations. And so there you discover, actually, Jesus is the Messiah, not just of the Jews. He's everyone's king. He's Lord over everything. And he brings forgiveness and salvation to people from all nations. So you've done the engineering thing. You've looked at the start Verses 1 to 4, you looked looked at the end, chapter 24. You put it all together. Luke's showing us that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour, the Messiah, the King who died and rose again. Okay, we've done our kind of front and back trick. Now what you do is you look through this orderly account and you draw a picture if you can. 
because then there's less words. So in this orderly account, as you look through it, Luke begins by telling us about the birth of Jesus. And it's no ordinary birth. Then he shows how John the Baptist prepares for everything that Jesus would do. And then in this orderly account, he tells us about what Jesus did in Galilee. And by now you start to realise this orderly account, he's geographical. He's working his way down the map. Genius. Um, Luke tells us about Jesus preaching, about his teaching of the apostles, about his miracles. Uh, he shows us how people respond to Jesus. He, um, Luke tells us um, that how Jesus rebuked the leaders of Israel. He writes this orderly account, chooses what to put in to convince us as we read it that Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he claims to be. And way back in chapter 5 of Luke, he includes this time when there was a paralyzed man lowered down through the roof in front of Jesus and Jesus healed him. And you think, well, that's no surprise. You've been reading this stuff. That fits with everything else. But what is surprising is that Jesus also forgives the man's sins, which is something only God can do. And so Luke records it there so you can see actually he's making big claims. He's claiming he's God. He's claiming to have God's authority. And so in this orderly account, Luke shows us the miracles, shows us Jesus' power, power to make food out of nothing, power to calm a storm just by speaking to the wind and the waves. Jesus' teaching shows that he understands the sinfulness of human hearts and he cares. He has the capacity, he understands our capacity to do evil and yet he still cares. And in this orderly account, you finally come to chapter 9 where Luke records for us um, Peter finally recognising you're the Messiah. So in chapter 9, verse 18, once Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he said, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. And Luke's recording these things. So we'll come to the same point and go, he's right. Jesus is the Messiah. Um. By the time you hear Jesus say that, you agree. And But then in verse 22, he goes, the son of man, talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day rise from the dead. From the dead. Jesus knew exactly why he was here. He knew exactly what was ahead of him. He knew what was coming. And God would use the way people reject Jesus to achieve his purposes. God would sovereignly use Jesus' rejection to achieve God's purposes. Later in chapter 9, Jesus predicts his death a second time, and you keep going down in chapter 9, and Jesus says in 9 verse 50, 51, or Luke tells us, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, and Luke starts moving us down the map further. Jesus is adamant he's heading to, to Jerusalem where he knows He's going to suffer, where he knows he's going to die. And Luke records all the teaching that Jesus gives his, his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. And then Luke shows us what Jesus did in Jerusalem, climaxing in his death and resurrection. What I'm saying is this is an orderly account. Even an engineer can see that. Um, if you look at the end of the journey, towards the end of the journey to Jerusalem, if you look in chapter 18, um, Jesus predicts his death a third time. He says, Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's been written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They, mock, they will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead. You can see what Luke's doing, can't you? This is an orderly account showing Jesus is the Messiah and he had to die and rise again. 
everything that happens to Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, everything God had planned. Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Lord and the King, and he must rise again. But in chapter 18, verse 34, we read, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They didn't know what he was talking about. It's not until after Jesus' resurrection in chapter 24 that Jesus opens their minds and lets them see and understand. Jesus is the Messiah. He brings forgiveness, not just for Jews, but for everyone. Um, You've done the engineer's flyover of Luke's gospel, so we're back at the passage we started at. Luke's gospel was written to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, not just for Israel, but for all of us. Come back to the verses where we started, chapter 23. Look at verse 36. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They mocked Jesus. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The Roman soldiers fail to recognize who Jesus is. They mock him. They fail to recognize that Jesus is the king of the Jews, fail to recognize he's the son of God. But it wasn't just them. You look back in chapter 22, Judas betrays Jesus to the Jewish high priest. Um, Jesus is, is, is tried before the Jewish leaders. They reject him. They send him across to the governor, to Pilate. He doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is. He, he brings Herod in. Herod just mocks Jesus and sends him back to Pilate. And then you have the whole crowd of people demanding that Jesus be crucified. And Pilate relents and you're back to the cross with um, the soldiers at the cross mocking Jesus, mocking him because he can't save himself, mocking Jesus because he can't save himself. This is Luke's account of everyone rejecting Jesus. And God uses this ultimate failure of recognition to save us from hell. Jesus understands what's happening. Come back to um, the first passage that was read for us today. Come back to 22 verse 39. This is after Jesus' last supper with his disciples. He shared the meal. He had this, this practice of then going out to the Mount of Olives in the evening, and he does it again to pray. And 24 verse 42, he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the cup of suffering that was ahead of him. He knew that his death would be him taking on sin. He knew his death would mean God the Father turning his face away. The enormity of it is huge. And so as he prays, look at verse 44, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, I'm not a doctor. If Jesus actually was in that sort of state where his sweat was blood, well, that's really messed up. If it's a metaphor, well, it's still a description of how affected Jesus really was by this whole event. Jesus still obeys his father. He lets Judas betray him. He watches Peter disown him. He allows the soldiers to mock him, lets himself be crucified. Um, the writer of the Hebrews, when he, when he writes about all this, he says in Hebrews 2, in bringing men to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. And you read on in verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He was able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is our perfect saviour. You see the way he suffered. He's not like us. He never sinned. He knows what it's like to be tempted. In fact, he knows what it really is like to be tempted. I mean, we give in before too long. He never did. He knows how bad temptation can become, and yet he was godly all the way. He understands what his death means. 
Jesus understood completely what he was doing as our Lord and Saviour. Come ahead now to Luke 23, verse 34. As the executioners get to work, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even at that point, Jesus can have sympathy or empathy for these people, these people who are mocking him and abusing him and crucifying him. He knew that they needed forgiveness. Or look back at 23, verses 27 to 30. When the women are mourning for Jesus, he says in verse 28, um, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. He knows the judgment that is coming. And as, as he suffered, he says, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Having seen Jesus' prayer in the, bar, in the garden and seeing the way he views those who are doing this to him, you then look at 23 verse 35. He saved others. He let him save himself. Or 23 verse 37, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. Or 27 verse 39, are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Jesus did miracles. He could have got off that cross. He could have. But he stayed on the cross. And this is no ordinary death. Luke's giving us hints of that. So if you look at verse 44, it was now about, about noon, midday. It's usually you know, bright in the middle of the day. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The, start, the sun stopped shining. This is three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. Luke's checked out the facts. He's recording these things. This is an orderly account. You, you can explain this away. You can say, oh, there was an eclipse or whatever. But let's face it, it happened, it coincided with Jesus' death. And that's not all that happened. If you look at verse 45, the curtain in the temple gets torn from top to bottom. You can explain that away. You know, there's an earthquake. But it happened when Jesus died. And the significance of that is huge. It's like God opening the way into the most holy place in the temple. Again, the writer of the Hebrews talks about it. He goes um, in chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And on he goes. Here's Luke writing this orderly account showing us this death is not ordinary. This is huge. He's helping us understand what it means for Jesus to be our Lord and our Saviour, for his death to pay the price for sin and open the way into God's presence. Um, the last little bit to show you in the passage is chapter 23, verse 39. We've jumped around a bit, but 23, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung hurled insults at him, are you the Christ, save yourself and us? But then verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same curse? We're punished justly for we are, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man did nothing wrong. And then Jesus said, remember me. Uh, then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. He is a hardened criminal, getting exactly what he deserves, but he gets to go to heaven just by asking, simply by asking Jesus. You look at what he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All he does is acknowledge Jesus as his Lord, as his king, as his saviour, and just asks. And Luke's writing this down as if to say, even that man can be forgiven and being the kingdom of God, and that gives us huge hope. Um, we too can recognise Jesus for who he is. It's not a tricky business. It didn't take that man many words even to recognise Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. 
Um, we started this morning by me giving a funny story about failing to recognize somebody, but I think or I hope you can see now how important it is to recognize Jesus for who he is. But failing to recognize Jesus, the consequences are huge. I said too that I'd ask you to consider or reconsider if Jesus isn't your Lord and Saviour. And I said I was going to pray a prayer, and that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to pray. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that just says, sorry. Sorry um, for not recognising God for who he is and Jesus for who he is. Sorry for living like God doesn't exist. And it's a prayer that says, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die my death for me. Thank you for making Jesus my Lord and my Saviour. And it's a prayer that says, please, please forgive me. Please help me live with Jesus as my Lord, basically. It's not a complicated prayer. It's the kind of prayer that Christians pray all the time because we keep repenting, we keep coming back to God. But it's also the kind of prayer, like the criminal on the cross, the kind of prayer that you pray to become a Christian. So I'm going to pray. I'll pray it real slow, and that will give you time um, to echo the prayer silently in your own heart to God if you want to. Let's pray together. Dear God, I'm sorry for failing to recognise you and living like you don't exist. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die my death for me. Thank you for making Jesus my Lord and Saviour. Please forgive me and change me to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you did happen to pray that prayer for the first time, well, Good Friday was just an excellent Friday and please let someone know.